Hey guys, how's it going? Matt from Foulball Productions here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you're doing well, because I'm doing phenomenally. Thank you so very much. It's the 24th episode of the MF Podcast, coming at you live with a guest, not by myself. No solo ranting today. I know you wished it was, but unfortunately, but fortunately for me, I'm joined by Jed, Hollywood scholar. Can I say you're part of the Geeks and Gamers crew? Is that accurate? Yep, yep, I'm officially a member of the crew. So yeah, G&G member here. Official <laughs> Geeks and Gamers member, alum, employee, genuine article. How you doing today, Jed? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's great to be here. I look forward to diving into whatever we have to talk about. But yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome to be here. I I, I like talking to you. You've been on the uh, MFR a few times, the, uh, the Cocktail Lounge, the Friday night live stream shit show that I do. Uh, and I, I thought I really enjoyed talking to you. I thought you had some interesting takes. Um, I like how you're opinionated without being like disagreeable. Um, <laughs> that's something I struggle with. The I hard, tend to be hard line. Yeah, well, I tend to be opinionated and disagreeable, and it's really not a, a characteristic most people <laughs> gravitate towards. But I respect the way you can, like the other night, how you were articulating that you like Christopher Nolan and hate Tarantino. Which, if you had hate a hate, is a strong word. Okay, don't prefer. Okay. Uh, if you had a, a, a more disagreeable personality, we'd be arguing. But the way you presented it to me, I was kind of like, oh, I mean, yeah, it's just his point of view. Um, one thing we didn't get to, and I would like to start with this, if it's okay with you. Right. You are a published author. That's right. Yeah, I have the first two books in my five-book fantasy series out, Odyssey of a Phoenix. So the first one's Down in Flames, and the second one is Apocalypse Then. But... How long are those books? They're meaty. They're meaty. The first one's 650 pages. The other one's about oh. 550, I believe. Holy shit. So, yeah, they got a little weight to them. I, yeah. I, I envision them like my goal, obviously, this is a high aspiration. Don't know if I achieve it, but I was trying to be a continuation of the epics of Homer. And some of those oh. can get a little bit longer. Like Homer is a big inspiration of mine. Of course, mine isn't poetry like Homer, but I think of it as a continuation of that story and that the way that he presented greek mythology of course it's in modern day but yeah homer is a very big inspiration and i was a big uh, big priority for me with making this was accuracy 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 i do not contradict if at all possible anything that happens in homer anything that herodotus mentions like i did a lot of studying on greek text to try to make this as honorable a continuation of greek mythology as i was capable of well, obviously, I'm familiar with the story of Homer, but for the people in the chat that might not be, could you maybe get into the story of Homer? For those of us, obviously, <laughs> I know the story of Homer, clearly. But if you wouldn't mind, uh, that's the Odyssey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Homer was one of the first literary geniuses of the ancient world. He was a, a Greek historian who kind of brought together a bunch of oral traditions and wrote them okay. down. He was blind, interestingly enough. But really? his tales that he he helped translate into text versus oral were the stories of the Trojan War, specifically with Achilles in the Iliad. I love that one, but I hate that it only it ends after four years of the journey. We don't get the full 10 years of the Trojan War, just the first four. And then his second one was the Odyssey, which focuses on Odysseus's journey home from the Trojan War. And funnily enough, most people don't know this. This is a deep cut for anyone in the audience. There was actually a third Homer book that was lost in history, but we have descriptions of it and uh, like basically what it's about and that one was called the telenogeny it was the tale of telemachus the son of odysseus as he journeyed back to the island of circe hmm. so was there. that lost when that uh library burned down it's possible we don't know exactly when we just have random references to it existing but we don't have it right now so it very well may have lost during the uh burning of the library of alexandria but from what That's we know of the telenogeny i try to keep consistent with what little we know about the telenogeny. I've also considered that canon. Well, I've got a fun fact for you. I know that you obviously have dabbled in your creative works as far as uh, retelling the story of, uh, of Homer and the Odyssey. I also have. Uh, for a high school project, I made a stop-motion uh, Lego movie of the burning of Troy. 
That's awesome. I would it love was, to see that. <laughs> it was actually sick. I think it's lost to time, much like Homer's third work. Um, but uh, I think I actually even snuck in like a rape. Because <laughs> they're burning and pillaging. There must have been a rape, right? So I just <laughs> Obviously. Like, I, I had a Lego like bend over like another Lego. Uh, <laughs> I snuck that in. <laughs> that's 100% something I would do too if I were doing that. That's... Well, me and my uh, friend growing up, we used to do those for fun. We used to just make stop motion Lego movies. It was awesome. Um, it, was, it was so much fun. And then for whatever reason, I, I we were studying that in high school. And I was like, all right, that's going to be my uh, my visual aid. And I think I got an A, cause, but I think that was my visual aid saved it because my presentation <laughs> was absolutely terrible. I did the same thing. I made a short film on the Gettysburg Address, and that saved my whole project because I didn't put any effort into the rest of it. <laughs> it was all just the visual aid part yep exactly stop motion does rule indeed sentient dildo it does indeed i used to uh, dabble I haven't in a long time but i did used to dabble it was so much fun dude like it was mm -hmm. just me and my friend would do that for hours and it was like an absolute blast to just make and we'd show them to our family and we'd get like you know, genuine compliments. I remember getting like critiques. They're like, this one seems a little jerky than the last one. You know, they were giving me like, we don't appreciate this one. So it's like, <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm 11, but okay. <laughs> um, so you said the book takes place in modern day. Yes. Is it like, is there like an Afghanistan parallel or something? Like how does, a, what, what's the, because it's a war, right? Like that's Achilles and all that stuff is. No, no, no. so it, it, what I mean is, it's a continuation, as in it's a sequel. So oh, like, it's not an adaptation. It's not an adaptation. No, no, it's not an adaptation. So, like the events in Homer are referenced heavily and they're talked about a lot, but it's still a modern day story with modern day characters that are existing in post Grecian world. Are they like related to the people in the? In the are they like you know the the, the descendants? of achilles like two thousand years later or whatever uh, there's always the possibility there are some things that i have planned for the future that might relate to that but that would be a spoiler for some of the later novels that i haven't written yet but okay. no it, it, i i just mean more than anything else it was the spirit of homer and homer was my canon basically that that's how i operated with it as so it, it's modern modern story, modern characters. And the big thing that was the, the first hurdle for me is I wanted a logical reason for why the Greek gods weren't as prevalent in society today as or as influential as they were back in the day. And so figuring out in a world in which that made any sense was the, the building block off of all of it. Because, of course, Greek mythology, it's not a religion anymore as widespread there is absolutely a religious aspect of it that still exists today and i studied those people met with those people and oh wow my, really mm -hmm, and some of my characters in the story practice modern day greek religion cool. and i tried to keep it as accurate in that sense as possible and everything that i did accuracy was the most important thing but uh, i had to explain why you know they weren't the champions of intellect now like they were in the ancient world so that's that's the bedrock on what the story is built on do you what is your explanation for why the Greek gods have not been hanging out with us? So it's kind of interesting. A, a parallel that I did is right about the fall of Greece, the fall of paganism or the fall of polytheism paralleled chronologically, very similar to the rise of Christianity. So I have a parallel where it's it's belief that makes things happen. Humanity's belief fuels the gods' abilities. And so as belief in christianity grew the gods faded and chronos took advantage of that opportunity and rose to power he defeated the gods and the gods went into hiding as humans they tore out their divinity is what i call it their godly spirit and basically became mortal so all the gods are living as everyday people and so the main character's journey in the first book just the first one is much like finding. the 90s song what if god was one of us much like it yeah you made that literal what if God was one of us? I mean, I, I, I had fun trying to figure out what uh, each God would look like in the modern day. Like I have Zeus as a stockbroker in New York City, like just coming up with explanations for why everything's the way it is, where they hid their godly spirits, reuniting them. All that was uh, it was a fun exercise. And this one, for those who know Greek mythology, will make a lot of sense. And you'll laugh at I have Apollo as a gay porn star in Florida. <laughs> 
I I don't know my Greek mythology well enough to understand that punchline. I'm sure they're cackling out there, but why <laughs> is Apollo a Greek porn star or in Florida? Oh, he he was a horny motherfucker. That was his oh, whole okay. deal. Him and Dionysus really they just um anything that could be bent over was bent over. That was kind of the way they operated. So porn star just made sense to me. That's pretty funny. There's a stereotype of, you know, ancient Greece being very gay, which is an accurate one to a certain extent. So I do incorporate that in as logical way if I can. Like I use my work as an inverse to modern Hollywood because, yes, diversity and inclusion, it's great, whatever, as long as it makes sense. And the same applies to race as it does with sexual orientation. And in Greek, with Greek people, they were this way well, at a much higher percentage than modern day. So I incorporated it in a way that felt natural and consistent with the ancient tales because there are Greek myths in and of themselves of the gods having same-sex relationships. Like Artemis, she was, you know, fucking around with her Artemis's hunters. There's, nice. there's no getting around that. Nice. I like so. when chicks do it, not when guys do it. That's gay. <laughs> but when chicks do it, yeah. Um, you bring up an interesting point, though, about the uh, diversity inclusion being like um, – well represented, like genuinely mm-hmm. represented. I actually truly empathize with that in a, in a real way. Uh, you know, it, it's jammed down our throat. And I really think the reason is not because the actual diversity, it's the messaging behind it mm-hmm. that people have a problem with. Because I was watching uh, Netflix's Beef. I just finished it the other day. Yeah. I, I really want to talk to someone else who watched that because I finished watching it and I was like, Huh. <laughs> like, I really liked it. The last two episodes got kind of wacky. Um, very, still worth every, uh, your time. It's a very good show. Um, but the thing is, it focuses heavily on this I, this Korean family, and I think the other woman is maybe Japanese. But almost everyone in the show is Asian. Like, mm-hmm. I'd say ninety to ninety five percent of every single actor in the show is Asian. But they don't call attention to it, yeah. and therefore you're just watching these people. And it's a really interesting, like, gateway into a slightly different culture. I mean, it's still Mm – they're still Americans. But, like, there's a Korean aspect to, like, the main character and, like, his brother – excuse me. And his, like, parents who are actually in Korea because of financial hardships and so on and so forth. But when it's done right, it's actually almost like a tourism pass to a different – Mm-hmm. culture or a different way of living and i think it's it's a beautiful way to explore the world and to genuinely uh be inclusive like truly what that actually means they don't mean it that way in modern hollywood they mean you know a whole other ball of shit mm-hmm. but i do think it's pretty fascinating um how, what do you think about that no, you're absolutely correct, and I enjoy a lot of Asian entertainment as well, specifically Korean dramas. Korean dramas are mm. great. Like, uh, there's one on Netflix. That's it's it's actually a Korean sci-fi show called The Silent Sea about okay. discovering water on the moon. It's phenomenal. Ooh. I love it. And that yeah, it, familiar to me. It's just what we've always done. Even in in the ancient world, it was introducing. Oh, yourself. that's <laughs> right. Yes, I started watching that. Yes, yes, it's yes. I remember. Real, I love that show. And Gong Yao, the guy he's in it, he did Train to Busan. That was a big movie from a couple yes, of years ago. Yes, yes, I and remember he's, that movie. He's Good phenomenal. Movie. I've watched a lot of the stuff with him in it. And there's a lot of other great stuff from Asia. And that's how you do diversity right. It is should It should be a consideration. But the way I describe it on my channel is it's misaligned priorities in the way that Hollywood does it right now. It can be right. a priority, but it can't come above world building it can't come above plot it can't come above just making logical sense it has to be secondary to story at the end of the day as long as it fits in with the universe oh got some uh activity on the phone there (laughs) i i have it muted i'm looking at it right now it says it's muted so i'm just shutting it down all good but uh yeah no there are logical ways to do things and that's what Hollywood used to be capable of because mm-hmm. they're acting as if Hollywood was never diverse, that there was never any black people who existed in movies no. before 2016. Or if you take Jennifer Lawrence's word for it, there's never been a female action star before her, even though mm. we have evidence of one way back in, I think the 1920s, like well over a hundred years. I, I mean, it's such a ridiculous assertion. It's, it's almost like profane to prove her wrong. Mm-hmm. You're like, all right, shut exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and if nothing else, one of the most popular ones is Ridley from the alien movies. And that was in the seventies. That was well before Jennifer Lawrence's era, but these 
modern woke tards, they pretend that they're the first ever to do things, first ever to do this, and they like that achievement. That's the thing is that's where the uh, priorities, I believe, come in wrong because every single time they do something, they're like, we're the first to do this. But that discredits a lot of incredible things that came before, like Black Panther's like, we're the bla first black superhero movie ever. No, Blade takes that title, and Blade, you can't discredit the impact that Blade had upon the world because it saved Marvel from bankruptcy. There is no MCU without Blade, and so you're desecrating a true revolutionary film, a truly impactful film for a modern-day achievement award, basically. And well, I think that's incredibly disrespectful. It is, of course, but what they mean is we're the first to do it with the message. Of course. That's what it's all about. It's all first. about the agenda, the message, the whatever the hell they're trying to push, anti-West, you know, anti-white, anti-all that shit. That's what they mean when they say the first. We pioneer, blah, 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 blah. Now we're doing it when the communists are in charge of the narrative is what they really mean. And it's just like, all right, well, go fuck yourself. You know, and it's the thing. It always falls flat. I watched a really interesting video by Razor Fist the other day, uh, and he was saying how uh, get woke, go broke is a uh, like a misnomer. And that's something I've kind of always not always thought, but I'm always just like, eh, I, it's too I, emphatic. I also, I don't think it's accurate. I just don't think it works. I mean, sometimes it works, but I don't think it's like a rule. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think Sentient Dildo was the one that said it was like copium or it was a cope or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I, I kind of agree. What Razor Fist's assertion was, it was um, go broke, get woke. That getting woke was a way of like companies trying to save themselves from the brink of collapse, which I thought was a really interesting idea. Uh, and he, he made the, the point for DC Comics, how DC Comics had basically collapsed. And uh, that was them just basically, it was a Hail Mary to save the company. Yeah. And same thing with Warner Brothers, which I was like, oh, these are okay. Uh, yeah. Razor Fist always blows my mind where I'm like, I don't even have an opinion on what you just said. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just kind of like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> that could <laughs> definitely know. help fill in some of the gaps that Go Woke Go Bro creates, but I don't think it's I it's not either an emphatic rule, just like Go Broke um, Go Woke Go Broke isn't an emphatic rule. Like Marvel was not anywhere near broke when they started going woke. So it, good it's point. just That's fills a good in the point. gaps a little bit. It's an alternative that explains several scenarios, but I don't think it's across the board that either. That's a good point too. Yeah, because it's you know. I think I think we were talking about it the other night, but like I, I I was letting you know I, I used to live in L.A. I was an actor for a long time, so I was like uh, entertainment industry adjacent. I was never really in it, but I was right. very close to it. Um, and it is such a powerful collective, you know. And people are always so desperate and scrambling to not say the wrong thing and to be accepted by the group and so on and so forth. But I think like. It is such, and it, and they're they're so good at extricating people who are not part of the thing. Like they know you are not part of the thing so quick, even when you don't agree, not even actively disagreeing. If you don't mm -hmm. immediately agree, they can they clock it. I, I remember mm -hmm. that happening to me. Um, so it's so, there's so much social pressure to push the narrative. It's almost kind of like inevitable. It's almost it's like also like you, you do you not want to be here or are you gonna play ball? Like I mm -hmm. think that's kind of it's like the only thing that can happen, you know, they, they don't really leave. It's like, you see the Mario movie right now, right? Mm -hmm. On track to break a billion fans. Love it. Like we were talking with uh, Steph the other night and she's seen it five times, you know, like my roommate absolutely adored it. Like everyone I've talked to has seen it, loves it. Right. Mm -hmm. But 50% critic score. Why is that? Probably because it's not pushing a narrative. That's exactly what it is. And these people, they, they seem to hate fun. I know that's kind of simplistic, no, but at the end of the day, it seems like anything good they despise and the vice versa is also true. But yeah, I think 100% the explanation is it wasn't as progressive as it could be. Like a lot of people are talking about, Peach didn't save the day at the end. Oh my God, this is terrible. Ugh. I wish Peach had more agency. Whereas the people who like the movie, like, you know, Peach was fine. Maybe a little bit less agency. It's kind of funny how that works. But <laughs> it, it's just it's just a fun movie. I, I, I really enjoyed it as well. I, I think it's slightly better written than a lot of people are giving it credit for, but it's still not, not a paragon of quality. Yeah, and Chris Pratt is definitely a contributing factor into that. Good well, point. I, I didn't even think I'd of that. I'd say that would 
probably be a lot of it. Like more than not, I say Chris Pratt would probably be the biggest hatred of the film from critics because they're hundred percent on the Twitter woke tard bandwagon of hating Chris Pratt because he breathes. And so that was a big thing. Well, in he a lot doesn't of reviews he as well. Doesn't capitulate the narrative. It's the same thing with re- reason why they got rid of Gina Carano. She wouldn't mm-hmm. capitulate with the narrative. They had a suspicion she was conservative. As as far as I know it, I don't think she was outwardly political until they kicked her out. Mm-hmm. Well, even now she hasn't taken a political stand party wise. Like she's still not right, but she's officially. You could but she's sent, more vocal. Yeah, she's more vocal. You can kind of conclude that she's most likely. I mean, she spends a lot of time on right. Not that I care. I'm not judging her for it. I'm just saying, like it. It seems to me fairly evident. She's from Texas. Mm-hmm. I think you know what I mean. Like it, I imagine, which it doesn't. It shouldn't fucking matter. But for them, it matters Absolutely because not. it's like. You know, if you're not with us, you're against us. Like that's yeah. they draw a very hard line in the sand. Um, but I think you're right when they when you say they don't like fun. I think there's a reason for that because it's like everything is about the agenda. It's like you do, and I don't mean this like even nefariously. I think they believe like it should all be revolutionary, even the people mm-hmm. who aren't necessarily evil. Because I knew a lot of these people. They're not all. They're not bad people. They they like I remember like when Trump got elected. There was a girl who had like a literal panic attack because she thought that sexual assaults were going to just become the norm, which is like, wow, that a that's insane. You're crazy. Turn off the fucking news, you nut job. Yeah. But also that's the narrative they're pushing. Like that's what they were trying to convince people of. And I think like that's a lot like a lot of these people who do mean well, they want to be good. Mm -hmm. They want to be then this is how you're a virtuous person. This is how you're a good person. I think they are like programmed to believe if you're not if not if every piece of media if every single thing you do isn't trying to you know upend the patriarchy or stop climate change or you know right the wrongs of the past and injustice like then it's not you know it's not good it's like it all needs to serve that Mm -hmm. you know righting the wrongs of the past movement or whatever the hell they think so it's i think it's like yeah the people in that system like if you're not doing that they're like what do you what, are you mm-hmm. just entertaining people? You're just having fun? You can't have fun? The planet's ending. We're, uh, Trump might get reelected. Don't you understand the stakes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think well, that's really how they look at it. I, I wholeheartedly agree. A lot of the woke people aren't bad people. They're just, you know, confused to a certain extent. And that you put, brought up a really good point of the whole it seems to be the virtuous thing to do. And a mm-hmm. lot of people who aren't technically woke – but go along with it specifically because of that, because they're afraid to be called bad people. And that's yep. the that's the issue with the wokeness in Hollywood is it it infantilizes you to believe that you're a morally good person for supporting representation and diversity in a film. It's like, oh, it's great. It, yeah, yeah, there's more black people. And a lot of people are afraid to have their accurate opinions on things. I know a ton of people who back when, for example, The Last Jedi came out, were afraid to say they didn't like the movie because they were afraid to get called sexist, even though Force Awakens came out earlier and a lot of people genuinely liked that. Not like that's evidence to the contrary or whatnot, but there's tons of examples of that. Anytime that there's diversity, inclusion, anytime that there's a woke messaging, it comes in parallel with your moral for liking this. You're a good person. If you like it, if you don't like it, you're a bad person. With that narrative around it, a lot of people who either A, don't care or aren't as invested or aren't as willing to speak up as people like us in our sphere are, they're just going to go along with it and say, yes, it was a great show or a great movie just to keep up that pretense of moral purity. And that's that, part think, of is it. the most damaging part of wokeness is it tricks you into thinking that you're a good person. Well, the other thing is there's consequences for disagreeing. Mm-hmm. I face those consequences often. Remember, I told you I'm, at the beginning, I'm a, I can be a disagreeable person. It's just a character flaw that I have, and I don't have a problem disagreeing with people. And I don't have a problem arguing with people. I don't have a problem calling people on what I think is bullshit. But it's like I would get into these discussions with people where it's just like if you don't agree like i remember i had a facebook back and forth with an acting coach about the last jedi and i was like i'm not what I, I already knew uh, the writing was on the wall for me of force awakens i knew it was horseshit I, mm-hmm. I i saw in the theater i sat through that garbage i hated it everyone was like yay it was so great and i'm just like oh my god like ugh, i hate you all um but i was not going to go see the last jedi i just knew i wasn't going to go mm-hmm. see it because like, this is shit and i remember i had a disagreement with like an acting coach on that and she's just like it really follows the hero's journey blah, 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 blah. and i was just like all right i'm not you know mark hamill says it doesn't represent the jedi or thing i'm not going to see she's like matt like she was like pissed like that i even had the concept of disagreeing 
in like uh, without having seen it. I wasn't even shitting on it. I was just like, I don't need to. I just mm-hmm. I don't want to. Blah blah blah. And it's like the thing is, like you say, like people, there is that you know um, moral incentive to go along with the woke, but there's also genuine consequences if you don't. You will mm-hmm. be depending on your circle or your community. You will be extricated. You will be gossiped about. You will you know lectured and you know w- women won't sleep with you. I think like I'm not exaggerating. Those are all mm-hmm. real genuine real world consequences of not going along if you're in a, in a world that has like a woke cult yeah. as kind of the center of it. And it's a, well, it's a real thing. So it's already affecting the military as well. I just got out of the air ah. force. And when I was in there, it was very evident. Even when Trump was president, you can't say that you like him. But when Biden was president, it was very evident. You can't say you dislike him. And so it was just so politically divisive. And that's the thing that I am always going to advocate for on my uh, with my platform and with entertainment is i don't want political division at all we can have our mature debates like you were talking about and do what humans have been doing since the beginning of time and be mature adults and have disagreements but it shouldn't be the mainstay thing that everybody has to constantly be absorbed in it in entertainment there should be yeah occasionally you can have a left-leaning movie as long as it's okay to occasionally have a right-leaning movie and the norm be non-political, just telling good stories. And that's where my biggest problem in all this wokeness begins and ends is storytelling is suffering from it. I've, I'm a big fan of the classics when it comes to novels. I've read so much Dickens, Homer. I, I love everything old because storytelling was so strong. And for a mm. long time, Hollywood was able to maintain that quality of storytelling. There's some incredible films from the last century that mm. will be remembered forever, as long as humanity is capable of that technology, as long as something really bad doesn't happen. They're going to be remembered. <laughs> but with all this wokeness, the storytelling, like they said in the chat, has suffered to such a degree that it's non-existent. You're hiring people based on their look, based on their diversity quotient portions, and not mm. based on their talent. And that destroys entertainment and that in turn damages the culture because as greek mythology is the one that i always use an example of mythology was their modern or their entertainment of the day that was how they processed the word those were their stories and their mythology is incredibly influential in our society today it's in our even our ad campaigns our marketing and our morality and our political systems it is so influential but if at the time that the mythology was being created Somebody came in and is like, you know what, this mythology, it's not 100%, you know, it's not very nice to people who aren't in this story. Or Zeus, he sleeps with too many women non-consensually. He's a bad man. We have to stop all these stories. Then we lose all that in the modern day. Entertainment, yes, it's secondary to a lot of other things in our culture, but in our society. But culture shapes society. So I think it's important to have a an escapism aspect of it too. There needs to be an escapism aspect, but there needs to Definitely. be an intellectual aspect of it that enriches us as people. And Hollywood used to get that. There were movies that inspired well, us to be better. The thing is, like the artists used to be like the punks, right? They used to be the ones challenging the status quo. And now, I'm not saying that's gone. That's still I like I, I still advocate for modern stand-up comedy because of how much good comedy there is and how and how uh, much a lot of them genuinely contrast the norms, which I respect. That's what you're supposed to do when you're an artist. You're supposed to challenge the status quo, whatever that status quo is, whether it's an ultra left thing that we have or an ultra right thing like we used to have. You're supposed to challenge it. You're supposed to go after mm-hmm. it. This is. I think at least the past few years, probably not as much right now, but at least, you know, from 2016 on, like was an unprecedented time when the, the, like the entertainment and the artists became the system. Mm -hmm. Like they, and there was no dissenting voices or if they were, they were so few and far between, like they barely existed. It was, it was, you know, raging for the machine, like that whole thing, you know, like even when like, I I listen to rage against the machine now and I love their like music, but I, I, I really like cringe at the lyrics and everything. But even when they were doing it, like, that still wasn't that popular. They was still punk rock to a degree where it was aggressive towards, like, whatever the norms were, the status quo or the media. It was like, it was punk. It had a punk spirit. Now you're like, oh, it's just, like, critical theory from college. It's, no, it's nothing that punk at all. But it's still, like, at the time when you're saying it against the norm. And it was it was so weird, I think, for everybody to, like, I don't know. It's basically like you pulled the curtain back and you realize that like all these most of these people in Hollywood, it's like, oh, you're not 
you're not even kind of independent, are you? Like mm-hmm. you, you, you're a puppet and you, they pull your strings and you just go along with it. And I think this was like the first time, I don't know, for me, it felt very unprecedented. Maybe, maybe it was just, I yeah. caught up to the, what was going on. I don't know, but it, it was, I thought it was a, it was a really wild. You're just like, Oh, like you guys are like, you know, SNL, used to critique like everyone in politics there wasn't mm-hmm. you didn't pick a side like the whole they, they lampoon the shit out of clinton all this stuff like you're supposed to do that like that's you're you're the you're the minstrel you're you're the uh what's it called the jester the court jester you're supposed to be the one who pokes fun at it but it, now we have like a raging for the machine we have this internal thing where it's like you guys aren't that at all you're 100 percent on the inside and you're just doing what the machine wants you to do it's like whoa kind of mind-blowing like Mm -hmm. wait a minute (laughs) you guys are supposed to be the ones poking fun at all this shit like i think that was like that was the what led to the rise of the youtuber culture that Mm -hmm. we have now the uh like the independent comedy scene that we have now i think it was an absolute direct result of wow i guess the voices who are supposed to kind of you know critique or shake things up or poke Mm -hmm. the bear or the you know say the emperor's got no clothes are gone Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of like realized it without realizing it because I, I, I remember this a few years ago where you, you were talking about like the old books and old stuff. I just realized I, I just had like just this need to, to watch the movies that I felt comforted by that I already knew I liked, like this kind mm-hmm. of old school, my old taste. I needed to be – I just needed to be comforted. I need like a, like a security blanket because it's like I think when you feel like they're not making things for you or actively – attacking you and criticizing you in the content you feel this need to like you know be reminded of the things that you like mm-hmm. it's a big deal it's a it's a it's a huge part like you say the escapism like that's a big part of living mm-hmm. is is escaping that type of stuff um and, and you... to be clear i i get criticized for saying escapism is important a lot because people assume oh so you only like fast and furious movies you only like transformers no escapism doesn't mean turn your brain off action escapism means escaping your reality that can be mm-hmm. on a hundred percent an intellectual basis as well as a mindless basis like inception is a great example of it it's a hard movie to understand but it is a hundred percent escapism there's not anything that reminds me of my everyday life in the movie inception not a single thing and i love it it's great escapism it makes me think so escapism isn't mindless fun i always have to clarify that because there's always going to be someone who says oh that's what you like no there's a lot more to it than that even social commentary stuff from back in the day like classic star trek which had a lot of social commentary which i love because it got it right in that it didn't demonize any side in a lot of arguments that's what classic doctor who classic star trek did it merely asked questions and then the audience answered them for themselves they just presented the evidence you figure it out and try to tell a good story at the same time it was incredibly escapist to think about being a captain on an enterprise exploring distant planets but there were things that you could reapply into your own life after you were done being in escapism escapism is a lost art and it's so much yeah. more impactful and meaningful than people believe it is not just transformers everyone i talk to that's their first example of an escapist movie no anything well written that doesn't remind you of your current life it just makes you think about something else for a few minutes a few hours that is escapism I think that's why video games are so popular right now because it's there's a, a singular focus to a video game. You know, you are just focused on your tasks and side quests and all that shit, and it takes you to another world, and you're not living in your own reality for a little while. I think that's mm-hmm. the, the huge rise. But to your point, I will give a terrific example that is straight up essentially socialist propaganda – is a movie, uh, I think Robert Redford produced it, but it's called The Motorcycle Diaries. Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't. It uh, stars Gael Garcia Bernal, and it takes place uh, in the 50s in South America. And it's about, um, what the hell is that guy's name? Che Guevara. When before he was a revolutionary, when he was just a medical student, him and his friend, this pharmacist, decide to take a motorcycle trip around the entirety or at least like the outline of South America, see all these countries, see their continent uh, when they're just like college kids. Right. And then that eventually mm-hmm. inspires him to become, you know, the socialist revolutionary that we all know of. Um, but it's 
A, an absolutely beautiful movie. It's funny. It's a road trip. It's like a buddy comedy. And it's 100% escapism. Even though at the end of the day, the message is still pretty empathetic to a pretty bad guy. Uh, it's it's uh, it's 100% escapism because even then, like it was, it was storytelling that put you somewhere, mm-hmm. right? It was a lens into a different time, a different culture, a different perspective. And if they really want to be effective, that's how you do it. Oh, absolutely. It's not hard. There's a reason people have been doing it since the advent of, you know, written text or oral tradition. It's not complicated. But Hollywood these days acts like it's the most hard thing to accomplish. And it's just sad to see so many unintelligent people running Hollywood. Sometimes I have to wonder, are they being malicious or are they just that stupid? It's hard to tell sometimes. Well, it's I think it's both. I think it's... Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even necessarily that they're stupid. It's that they don't give a shit. They just want to do what lets them be there. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was probably the most deflating thing about my time in Hollywood was the amount of people who didn't really have a passion for it that worked in the industry, that were part of the industry. It was just the cool club. It was the cool yeah. job to have. And it was like, wait, so you guys don't care? Like the amount of men – uh, alleged men that I met <laughs> in Hollywood who had not seen the fucking Godfather blew my mind. Really? I would quote like Schwarzenegger movies and they'd look at me with a blank stare. I'm like, you've never seen Total Recall? <laughs> like, what? What are you doing? Like, they liked friends and shit. You know, they, they was just, it was a, it was a cool kids club. It was the popular, cool job to have. You know, they didn't give a shit. They didn't get passionate about it. They wouldn't have, like, impassioned opinions. It was just the cool thing to do. It was so disappointing. So I think when you're dealing with people like that who just want to be popular, just want to be liked, just want to be in the cool thing, they, uh, you know, they'll do whatever it takes to do it. And mm-hmm. if that means pushing this leftist agenda, whatever, they'll do it. They don't care. Like, they don't have passions. They barely have personalities. And passion is a root of a lot of the issue as well. Even when you take it on an individual franchise level, let alone a massive widespread Hollywood level, when someone comes into a beloved franchise with a lot of passion and proves that, fans get excited. Or at least when you have passion to try. Doctor Who is always a great example that I use because when David Tennant took over the role, everyone knew that he loved Doctor Who. It was one of his favorite things in the world. He grew up with it. He was a massive, massive fan. So... Upon his announcement, people were interested. People were excited. Of course, you need to still be good. You still need to be competent in what you're doing and be proven to the prove to the fans that you're you should be there. But that gets that initial interest, and that's something a lot of places are lacking right now. J.J. Abrams is not a fan of Star Wars. He yeah. might say, eh, "I wore a Star Wars T-shirt once." That doesn't yeah. make you a Star Wars fan. So if we'd gotten someone in there who, you know, studied George Lucas in other projects, he's like, I, I take inspiration from George Lucas to make this movie, and I really hope it's a love letter to George Lucas. Someone like that coming in would have made people a lot more interested in The Rise of Skywalker, for example, or something like that. Because passion, you have a better chance of being good and honoring the past if there's passion. And the same applies to Hollywood as a whole. If you've mm-hmm. got new filmmakers coming in, just like you're saying, new actors coming in who know The Godfather, who love classic stuff and want to continue in the spirit of that, telling great stories, how people like Scorsese, Spielberg, and others did, then we have a better chance of great stories coming back to the forefront of the industry. And until that changes, we're just going to have people who are like, yeah, I, I, I'm here because it's cool, just like you said. And so Hollywood is in trouble as long as that mentality prevails. It's very evident who's a fan and who isn't. Like you see uh, someone like um, Ryan Reynolds making – like going to war to make Deadpool the way it needed to be made, mm-hmm. right? Changing yep. the game by, by making a successful R-rated action movie or a, a Marvel, you know, comic book movie. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, And he clearly loved the character, loved the source material. He's a passionate – obviously a passionate guy. You see someone like Henry Cavill, right, in The Witcher. He's such a passionate fan. They've kicked him out essentially, mm-hmm. right? He, he so wants to honor the canon and the legacy that that's a problem for them, you know? Or you look at a guy who, who I like um, – God, I can't think of his name right now. 
but is the showrunner of the my probably my favorite show ever, The Expanse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy was obviously a fan of the books, obviously a fan of like physics and good storytelling, and really gave a shit about making it correctly. Like mm-hmm. it's it's so evident who's a fan and who isn't. You see how many people like they like 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 I know it's like an obvious example, but you take something like She Hulk, right? Mm-hmm. It's like. The, clearly that writer didn't want to make a She-Hulk show. She wanted to make this like badass liar show or like whatever, you know what I mean? But like had to do it within the framework because that's what they make. And so she's like resentful of of the source material that she has to adapt or work with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's so obvious you're not a fan of this. Like there's so, you see, you see that. Like it's like th- these stories, like these Hollywood people, they make these movies and they're, they're dog shit. And it's like, you don't even need to write the fucking story. The story already exists. There's countless comic books with good stories. Just plagiarize it. Steal it. Because it's the source material, you jackass. Like you don't They're even too need- dumb to steal. <laughs> <laughs> That's how dumb these people are. Oh, I guess I guess fucking uh was it? Picasso was right. Great artists steal, and they can't even do that. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, what am I doing to Homer? <laughs> yeah, but that's like I think it's true. I, nothing exists in a vacuum. Nothing, you know, what says it? There's nothing unique under the sun or whatever. Like I, I wrote a uh, a pilot, uh, a television pilot, science fiction that I'm still pretty proud of. Um, but uh, I realized in like certain things, I was like, oh, I, that's that's a scene from The Matrix. Like I just stole, like I realized that. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I stole that. Like it was subconscious. It wasn't active. Yeah. But then once I realized it, fuck it, lean into it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, now that you know you're stealing it, like, adapt it, make it your own, and that's where you got the inspiration from. I mean, w- why even make something if you weren't inspired by something that already existed? Like, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a lot of pride. Uh, it's a lot of pride. Uh, Office Girl sent me a uh, super sticker. Thank you so much for $1.64 Canadian. And it's sandwiches because she makes us sandwiches. Thank you so much, Office Girl. I appreciate you. Um... So yeah, we're we're using stealing as hyperbole, Office Girl. Obviously, it's not legally stealing. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, it's. I think it. If you have honor, stealing isn't stealing. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's respect. It's homage. You're acknowledging yeah. what came before you. I mean, I know you're not a big Tarantino fan, but you could argue his entire career is plagiarized. Oh. You know, he everything he's ever done. Homages. It's he all remixed. A hundred percent. But he's taken it so much and skewed it so much and made it his own so much that it's not even it's not even recognizable to the thing that it he took it from. Like you can be like, Oh, that's clearly influenced from, you know, whatever, Fellini or something. Mm-hmm. But it's like he he takes it and makes it his own so much that it's like if he wants to tell a genuine story. He wants to contribute to the cinema. Like if you're doing it with honor, it's not really theft. It's it's respect. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can take it in another direction with not without honor. It becomes an issue. For example, with Rings of Power and Witcher Blood Origin, specifically Witcher Blood Origin more so than Rings of Power. When we were watching it together, uh, a few friends of mine, uh, other channel content creators, we were watching it together. And at a certain point, we started counting the ripoffs. And at that point, it was just lazy ripoffs to not have yep. to do any work. And there yeah. was obviously no honor. There was not homage. It's just, we got to do something here. Oh, there's that thing I saw. Maybe we do that. And yeah. it was just so much. We had a list of at least 50 scenes. We're not talking about references. We're talking about 50 scenes we found that were stolen and were such inferior versions of the original. That yeah. that show, I, I would argue Witcher Blood Origin was worse than Rings of Power. Most people disagree. I'm much more of a Witcher guy myself than a Lord of the Rings guy. But there, there, there is that inverse. Just like you're saying, honor makes a big impact about how it's presented and how people receive it as well. It's like the way Jaws is a monster movie, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like it, it recreates the the whole concept. It spins it on its head, creates a new interpretation of that genre. But then you have a movie like Orca that's clearly just ripping off Jaws. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like you just took mm-hmm. the idea, changed the animal, and then that's about as much work as you did. Yep. Like that's a, that's a ripoff. It's a completely different thing. It's like you can't say Jaws is ripping off monster movies. It's like no, it, it reinterprets it. It takes yeah. it into a new realm. It, it imagines it in a different way. Orca steals. That's the difference. It's a good example. Yep. It's perfect. So are you – what's your background, like this whole literature thing that you, you have? Like I mean I don't know many people who are like impassioned about 
the Odyssey. Like that's pretty yeah. interesting. The Odyssey, yeah, that you pick the right one too. The Odyssey is the one that I care the most about when it comes to classic literature. But background wise, I I have a weird weird history. I grew up in a small town in Idaho. I was homeschooled. It was a town of 400 people, so it wow. wasn't like there were kids my own age to hang out with. But the ones that were there, I wasn't allowed to hang out with. So the only <laughs> escapism that I had was reading classic literature from my local library. I just ate it up. I The first time I remember reading the Odyssey, I was about eight or nine years old, and I was hooked. And so I was reading wow. Dickens at that age, Homer at that age, and, I mean, even Lord of the Rings later on once I got a little bit older. And that was what shaped my young life is classic wow. literature and storytelling. And so – when I got a little bit older, I started writing myself. I actually started in uh, writing film scripts. That's what I started no working kidding. on. And my first book actually was a season of television. It was the two, uh, 22 episode season of television at oh, first. Shit. And then when I couldn't sell that, I was like, I haven't tried a book before. So I changed the season into a book. And that's how the first one started. How but old are you, Jed? I'm 23. 23. Holy shit. Published author, author by 23. Mm-hmm. Way yeah. to go, bud. That's great. Well, uh, the, the first one came out in 2020, so it's been a couple of years. Wow. I, I, there was a point where the, the first two came out six months apart, and I hadn't even started the second one when the first one came out, and it's been three years, and I haven't read the third one. Yeah, I'm Oh, you're busy. just like George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah, I've been busy. You know what? Live up to the greats. You know, Live up to do. the greats. I aspire to be as, uh, what is it, procrastinated as George R.R. R. Martin. That's my... That's my goal. It was go. all on yeah. purpose, as long as it's intentional. Absolutely. You know, you're just modeling your life. I was actually, uh, I'm, I'm listening to this book right now called um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Are, mm -hmm. are you familiar with it? I am familiar. Pretty good book. Mm -hmm. I like it a lot. He's a, I, I could do without some of his sense of humor, but like for the most yeah. part, he doesn't give a fuck. Uh, but for the most part, it's pretty good. But he talked about Bukowski, um, who I've never read. But it was interesting how he was just a kind of a lousy, drunk good for nothing jackass for like till he was like 50 or something like mm -hmm. that and then became a published author after that like that's when he began his contribution to literature at that late age in life and i was just like wow that's pretty fucking fascinating there's a lot of people like journey. that yeah it's actually a pretty common story amongst the greats stephen pressfield do you know him uh, i've uh, i haven't read his work but i'm familiar He's got that great book, The War of Art, um, which is essentially, you know, you'd actually probably really appreciate Pressfield because he really respects the classics. He wrote mm -hmm. a book um, about what the hell? It's I, I can't remember because I don't. I'm I'm not smart, but it's uh, <laughs> it's about uh, it was like this old was the gates of is that the gates of fire or tides of war? He he basically writes about these sort of classic like uh, Greek battles. Um, they're essentially historical fiction, um, mm -hmm. but he he writes them like at, you know from the like a novel. Like he writes them as novels, and they're mm -hmm. really fucking terrific. Um, but he wrote uh, the War of Art, which is like my favorite book, and he he basically writes about. He's a very good storyteller, so even when he's talking about. Um, the artistic practice, he's telling a story. Mm -hmm. And he tells the story of essentially of this great villain known as resistance. And resistance takes many forms. It could be a drug addiction. It could just be procrastination. It could be sex. It could just be like, I'm not good enough, whatever. It, it takes a form in many different uh, ways. And it's essentially this force, this evil force that exists in the universe that essentially stops an individual from progressing, whether that means to create art or to uh, exercise more or meditate or whatever, uh, any way you improve this, oh, you're always going to encounter this mythical, this this mystical, sorry, mystical force known as resistance. And it's a brilliant insight into the challenges. Essentially, it's about you know a war of art. It's essentially about creating art, but you can apply mm -hmm. it to so many different things. And that's essentially just this great insight into the process of creating things or even improving yourself and he because he's so brilliant he writes it like almost like a story uh you know so that you understand it like in these sort of terms of villains and heroes mm -hmm. and it's like fuck man he's it's very insightful i, I highly recommend reading that yeah. book it's short too it's not it's not a big commitment it's a very uh very easy book to check out but uh, i highly recommend checking out Stephen pressfield's the war of art sounds right up my alley you know i love highbrow stuff like that where it's 
you know, classic hero's journey in interesting ways. No, uh, that definitely sounds perfect for me. And other stories like that, um, just about art in general, I have no artistic talent. Like, I could not draw a stick figure to save my life. Like, I'm a pathetic artist when it comes <laughs> to visual representation. But I love hearing about, just like you said, the, the way it's presented, the mentality behind it. Victor Van Gogh is one of my favorite Doctor Who stories. The story about him in the uh, fifth season is phenomenal. And then there's, of course, I can't remember what it's called. It's a Charlton Heston movie about Michelangelo. I love that movie. It's about the painting of the Sistine Chapel. Oh, cool. Just, it's artists are, they operate a little bit different. And so getting into that psychology has always fascinated me. Uh, Sinchin Dildo says, so it's not my fault. It's the mystical dark force. Nice. Well, <laughs> it's your fault if you give into it. It's your fault if you lose against the battle. I mean, it's, I think he even, he puts it so well because he wrote a few books on this. He wrote uh, The War of Art, but also the one I really dig is called, um, where is it? Not Turning Pro, Do the Work, The Warrior Ethos, The Artist's Journey. That's mm. it, The Artist's Journey. He wrote that as well. And essentially parallels the hero's journey, which is the very you know traditional storytelling structure, which I think works and should be honored. But he, mm -hmm. he, he, he parallels that with the artist's journey and that it's essentially like, for a good story, for a good hero, you need an equally good villain. And it's like, there, you know, if you're trying to accomplish something mighty, you need a mighty force to overcome. I mean, you, that's, that's the, you know, like Luke does need to defeat Darth Vader, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or the Emperor. Like he needs that, you need them to be that powerful for the hero's journey to be even kind of interesting. So it's like the, the parallel there is like you, this resistance force needs to be something mighty for you to overcome. And it's like, it's a very valid, um, um, what's the word, metaphor or yeah. whatever. But it's, I think that's completely 100% uh, righteous. But it's like, yeah, it's like if you quit, if you lose to that force, yeah, I mean, then, you know, that's on you. But it's, mm -hmm. it, it, it is out there and it is something you just have to face. Uh, <laughs> Session Total says, and that mighty force is whiteness. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so I know we don't have too much time, um, but I'm curious, how did you end up uh, talking with Geeks and Gamers? Because I remember the first time you came on the show, you felt there was a vibe there. It's like You had like a clear point of view. You had like organized opinions. You had this whole kind of like, I was like, oh, yeah, you felt like you belonged. So how, how did that come about? Well, I started just as everybody else, as a fan, as a viewer, got in with them around Captain Marvel time frame with other Brie Larson videos. But I was watching one of their live streams, probably main event, uh, uh, about a year and a half ago. And Jeremy mentioned, hey, if you want to be on a writing team, if you want to write articles for our website, just scroll down to the bottom of the website and there's information on how to apply there. So that's how I started. I was a member of the writing team. Oh, cool. And with the editor who uh, works on the website and I started writing articles and that's what I did for about a year. And it's only in the last couple of months that I've been actively involved in the YouTube side of things as well as the website side of things. Still on the writing team, but that's where I started was, yeah, just writing articles. And I I basically sent like a bunch of excerpts from my book as my resume and the editor's pretty like, sick. oh, you're you, you're a published author. All right, you got the job. That was pretty much the extent of my interview process and it just kind of exploded from there and i can't be happy geeks and gamers has been an incredible opportunity for me and there's some really great people that i've gotten really close with that's great i mean they're they're good dudes i um like i i consider myself friends with steph um mm -hmm. but i've met a bunch of the guys on the crew like i've met ryan and i've met jeremy and uh like you have to meet ups and stuff but they're they're just the nicest dudes like they're just mm -hmm. su super genuine super like i remember when I was in Dallas, I had to get going and I just wanted Jared to like sign like the poster or whatever. And he was like, Hey man, like he wanted to like, ha you know, mm -hmm. like honor the fact that he knew me, you know what I mean? have like that moment. I was like, yeah, this dude's like just a real dude, you know, just mm -hmm. like good, good people, man. Absolutely. Uh, tell, remind me, what's the name of your book one more time? Uh, the series is called Odyssey of a Phoenix. So the first one is down in flames. Odyssey of the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Of a, of a Phoenix. Mm hmm. Yep, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, pretty much anywhere online bookstores. It'll be sold there. A few on site, like in bookshops, but that's very few and far between. Okay, and uh, what's what's your? I'm, I'm, I, I can't. I don't know. I can't spell. <laughs> I thought I could spell Odyssey, but maybe not. 
uh, Odyssey of a Phoenix. And uh, what's your what's your full name, my friend? Uh, Jed Morgan. Jed Morgan. If you're looking for the Amazon link, I can drop that in the private chat right now. I got it. I found it. Um, yeah, I'm gonna just put it in the uh, in the chat there for everybody to take a look, so you guys can support an independent creator, a based ass creator, a creator <laughs> who works with geeks and gamers. You can support him. Um, that's obviously a super long link, but you can find it. Obviously, Odyssey of a Phoenix uh, by Jed Morgan. Uh, give it a look. Give it a goog. It's on Check sale out. right now. So it's on sale right now. Pick it up. Have you uh, four dollars on Kindle? I mean, come on, that's a steal, guys. <laughs> that's a bargain at any price. Um, have you ever uh, given any kind of thought to doing an audio version of it? There is the consideration with the, my p current publisher; they'll pay for it once we hit a certain level of um, purchases. Oh, so cool! It's on the table sometime near in the future. Hopefully, if we can achieve that level, so I don't have to pay for it myself because it's not cheap to make an audiobook, but it's 100% on the table, and they are already partnered with Audible, so it'll automatically go on Audible once we get to that point. But would I would you, love uh, to. Would you do the, the voiceover oh, yourself? God, no. No? God, no. The, the thing with my story is it's first-person, present tense, multi-perspective, so I'd have to do a lot of voices, and oh, I'm not okay. capable of doing more than my own, so I could do the main character's part, sure, I could do uh, Arian's role, but then Otis and Charlie, I would, I would be lost on how to even do that because they're they're very unique characters. Like uh, Otis is a two thousand year old shapeshifter who uh, was born in Sparta, but spent most of his early life in Naples, Italy during the uh, what you call the the rise of Christianity and. That creates a whole different dynamic and Greek accent, which I'm not capable of. And then Charlie's sure. Hispanic. Like there's I, I wouldn't be capable of it, but I'm sure there's a lot of talented voice actors out there who would be perfect for it. And uh, I heard a few auditions and I'm really excited to see if we can make this happen. That's great, dude. Congratulations, man. I'm, I'm very impressive. I didn't I had a feeling you were younger, but I didn't realize you were 23. And it's like mm -hmm. that's an amazing accomplishment. You know, at any age, but let alone being 23. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. pretty rad. Um, well, and Sentinel's talking about it in the chat. It is available on many other platforms as well. Amazon is just <laughs> one of them. There's Barnes and Nobles. There's Bookstore.com and several <laughs> other places. Because, I mean, I, I can't blame you. Uh, I, I can't blame you for that. <laughs> uh, by the way, it's not Sentinel. It's Sentient Dildo is his ah. name. He is an autonomous thinking, talking sex toy. That's uh, that's who is in my chat, Sentinel. Very, very nice. <laughs> he fucking rules, though. Um, so I just have a few minutes here, but uh, I just want to ask you real quick: just what's the process of like getting something published? Because I have fucking no idea. Well, I went an unorthodox route. Normally, there's the two different methods. There's self-publishing, which is easy. You just need to have a lot of capital. And then there's traditional publishing, which requires you to have a publisher who does most of the work for you. But getting a publisher's attention is insanely difficult. I, I tried for a long time. There's just a lot of competition. They don't accept unreferraled text. You can't just like mail in your book and hope they like it sounds a lot no, like hollywood to me yeah exactly it's the same deal with the auditions and you need a casting director you need an agent the publisher is basically my agent i need an agent or otherwise i'm screwed and i went an unorthodox route because my publisher they're a hybrid of the two you put up a percentage of the uh up, up front and that oh. buys your way into the door and then they do all the work for you so it was kind of a, a middle ground that made it really easy for me and i just can definitely recommend uh writer's republic that's my publisher writer's republic that's pretty sick dude well i want to say man thank you so much for for taking the time to do this with me i thought this was a really cool conversation i i definitely wanted to talk to you more you know the cocktail lounge is so frantic and insane uh, <laughs> so it's kind of hard to like nail down uh, one conversation but uh, i really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, to hang out with me buddy yeah absolutely had a blast right on brother well everyone in the in the chat you lovely folks make sure you uh, subscribe to jed hollywood scholar on youtube uh follow him on twitter and if you're a really good boy Buy the book. Buy Odyssey. Uh, it's one more time. Just uh, Odyssey of Odyssey of a Phoenix down in flames. Down in flames. I mean, I want to check it out for sure. I, I'm 
not gonna lie to you. I'm not the biggest reader in the world. I, I read it maybe. But there's like pictures. A... Oh my god, I love pictures for dummies like me. And and, and titty pictures too. Titties? Love oh, it's titties. it's it's a rated R book. Oh, it's sick. very, very rated R. Holy See that for all you naughty, naughty people in the chat. Take a look. Um, well, once again, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, anything else for the folks before we get out of here? Uh, no, just uh, please go subscribe to Geeks and Gamers Daily as well. We've rebranded the Geeks and Gamers live channel to Daily, and that's the new home for a lot of the videos that I'm working on for Geeks and Gamers. So Sick. if you go subscribe over there, I would appreciate that as well. We're almost to 9,000, about 50 subscribers away from 9,000 over there. Oh, yeah. Go be the 9,000th. I can say it. 9,000 <laughs> subscriber. Almost. Almost got it out. Almost. Almost. Well, uh, as for me, guys, you know me. Uh, check out the MFR Cocktail Lounge every Friday night. The, you know, this show, my Twitter, my Instagram, all that good shit. And uh, thank you so much for hanging with us. And I really appreciate you. And we'll see you all on the next show. You have a lovely, lovely Wednesday. Bye now. Thank you for watching. Please press like, subscribe, and have a wonderful day.